1: Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We talk about polygamy here, the polygamy that Joseph Smith first introduced into Mormon culture and also into Mormon doctrine. On today's show, we're going to be discussing Mormonism and polygamous belief that men can become gods. Uh, first, I would like to invite anyone who is wanting to leave a polygamy situation or know someone who needs to get out to contact Children Refuge Ministry. You can go to their website childrenrefuge.org or you can um, call the toll-free number, which is 877-425-9993 and ask for help. Explain your situation. All information is held in strict confidence. Or if you or someone that you know would like to be a guest on our show, if you have questions or comments, you can give us a call or you can email us. Our email is email at and our telephone is 385-240-2888. Today's guest uh, has been here many times. In fact, we just finished a show with him, um, which you would have seen last time. We always learn a lot when he's here and he comes. uh, We thoroughly enjoy his viewpoint on Mormon culture. He is a founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. He's the author and co-author of several publications, travels to different venues, and explains Mormon doctrine, comparing it to early doctrine and contradictions, and also, of course, to the Bible. He uh, has a daily radio program on AM820 Radio entitled Viewpoint on Mormonism, and his website is loaded with great information, uh, and also past radio programs are there along with resources for those who are interested in knowing more about this culture. So, again, I would like to introduce and welcome our guest, Bill McKeever.
2: Thank you, Doris. Thanks to again.
1: It was good to, to do the show on, on the resources that you have on your website, and your website is mrm.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's your publications, your books, your electronic library, all is there? All is
2: available there, yes.
1: Mm And information on the Mormon culture and on what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'd also like to mention that Bill has compiled a book entitled, In Their Own Words, which we did talk about also on the last show, which is a collection of Mormon quotations. And it's a great r- resource that I have found very, very valuable. And, and if you have any interest in the Mormon culture or are you doing in your own research, I would highly suggest that you get that book. It's very, very good. And, and they can get all that information, all that they can order off your website as well. Yes, they can. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brigham Young said, and I quote, Man is the king of kings and lord of lords in embryo. Orson Pratt said, If none but gods will be permitted to multiply immortal children, it follows that each god must have one or more wives. Spencer W. Kimball said, Man is created in the image of God. He is a god in embryo. He has the seeds of godhood within him. End quote. It sounds like Mormons from the very beginning believe that humans can become gods. In fact, early Mormons thought that only, and they taught, that only polygamists are the ones who could achieve godhood. And all Mormon polygamists today believe and teach that polygamous men can become gods. I learned that from the cradle. On your webpage, you have links to a recent radio program that you did. I think there was 10. I think we did 10 shows on this, yes. Um, On on the Viewpoint of Mormonism program. And it was uh, dedicated from... uh, Those shows were uh, from the LDS.org essay Mm -hmm. entitled Becoming Like God. And that's when I asked you to come on our show. And let's talk about that. It's something that both of our cultures, the Mormon culture and the polygamy culture, embrace. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, God tells us to test everything and hold on to what's good. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do here now. We're going to use their essay as our guide into this discussion. But before we get into this, most LDS that I talk to about this doctrine of becoming gods deny that the church believes it or teach it. Most of them do. They say that to me. They claim that all they teach is that they should become like God, not that they can become gods. They say, well, it's like father, like son. We right. don't really believe we can become a god. So let's discover what they, what the, what the church itself says they believe about man becoming gods. I'm going to begin by quoting from the essay, at the beginning of their essay, that says, and I quote, Latter-day Saints see all people as children of God in a full and complete sense. They consider every person divine in origin, nature, and potential. Each possesses seeds of divinity. So they laid it out there. They've they've laid that out very clear that, by nature, we're gods.
2: Yeah, we're of the same species as God. God just happens to be more advanced than we are in his eternal progression. But... At some point in our eternal progression, if you kind of use the illustration of an escalator, let's say God is right here on the escalator and we're here. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually that escalator moves up to where God is going to be up here and then we're going to be where God is. We're never going to surpass God, they teach. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Latter-day Saints are um, a little jumpy when you start talking about becoming gods. They, they don't want you to walk away with the idea that they are ever going to usurp The authority of God or ever be greater than God is. This comes with all sorts of complications Mm -hmm. because if, as LDS leaders have taught, that we are merely following a pathway that has been going on since eternity past, and that's what Mormon leaders have said.
1: Mm -hmm, That's what we were taught.
2: Joseph Smith taught that his God was once a man, who's the offspring of a God, who was once a man, who's the offspring of a God, who was once a man. It goes. Into eternity past. Mm-hmm. It's called an infinite regression of gods. That would also assume that if a Mormon has the ability or the potential, as the essay brings out, to become, to use that divinity within them to become like God, if they are going to be subservient to Elohim, the one they refer to as Heavenly Father,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it would also make <laughs> sense that Heavenly Father or Elohim is subservient to the God that preceded him. Right. And that he is also subservient to the God that preceded him. Now, think about this. With every generation of humans becoming gods, they become less powerful, okay? Less omnipotent, if you will, if there's such a, a way of doing that. You <laughs> yeah, can't, but yeah. I'm just trying to use an illustration I, I here. Yeah. In other words, we could never be, we, in theory, we could never be as powerful as the gods' generations back, in Mormon thought, right. are even though they never talk about them, that, that, and that's the great—that's the yep. great dodge. We don't know about God's past, so we don't talk about it. Gordon Hinckley yeah. uh, used that I kind of know. an I, argument, which is is really just a dodge on the whole issue. It doesn't matter how many details we have about this God when he was once a man. The fact that you're saying that he was once a man at all tells us that this cannot be the God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible is declared to be always God. Psalm 90 Mm -hmm. verse 2 makes it very clear, from everlasting to to everlasting, everlasting. you are God, you are always God, you are the eternal God. Now, Mormons will say that their God is eternal, but then we're all eternal beings, according to Mormonism. According According to to section 93, we're all eternal, we were in the beginning with God. So when a Christian is talking with a Latter-day Saint about this issue, it's important that you use the correct phraseology here. You ask the Mormon, well, do you believe that your God is eternally God? They can't say yes to that and be consistent. And that, I think, shows that we are not talking about the same deity. So either the Mormons are wrong, or we are wrong, or we're both wrong. But we can't both be right. We
1: can't both be right, absolutely. Um, Another quote, it says, same like this, several biblical passages intimate that humans can become like gods. Which biblical passages are they referring to that suggest that we can become God or uh, like God.
2: This this is a classic case of eisegesis on the case of the Mormon in, in the case of the Mormon church. They will take a passage from the Bible and they will read into the passage based on their own pre- presupposition, which is the wrong way to look at the Bible. We never are supposed to do that. Right. Now, we can never really totally divest ourselves of our own biases and our presuppositions, but we have to try as hard as we can to be as objective as possible when we, when we approach the Word of God. So when they list, for instance, the, uh, in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, how do you get out of that passage that men can become gods? How do you get it? Especially when you look at that passage is often used by Latter-day Saints to try to argue the case that God has a body of flesh and bones. Right. So you're seeing them use it both ways. That's right. It's true. They have used it for both arguments. But even that argument fails because... The Joseph Smith Translation, which was an edition that Joseph Smith came out with in 1833, where he opens up the King James Bible and he starts making alterations wherever he sits, wherever he sees possible. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in Genesis 127, he explains who's involved in the conversation when it says, let us make man in our image. That's a conversation that's going on. Now mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself, well, who's conversing here? Right. Smith answers the question in his Joseph Smith translation. He says that's God the Father and the pre-incarnate Christ. Now wait a minute. If that's the pre-incarnate Christ that's talking with Heavenly Father... Did the pre-incarnate Christ, even according to Mormonism, have a body of flesh and bones at that time? Not at
1: that time. No, he didn't. So if
2: two people are in the conversation, we know 50% didn't have a body. (laughs) So how (laughs) do you assume that image now means body? It it makes no sense. It's a presupposition that's being forced onto the verse.
1: So what they're doing is actually they're creating God in our image rather than us being have been created in his that image. That would be
2: a good way of putting it and that's exactly what they are doing and and of course there's a lot of discussion over what is the image, the Imago Dei as it is and, and so there's a lot of attributes that have to do with this. We mm-hmm. do share right. some attributes that God has, the ability to reason, the ability to think, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to assume that that somehow means that we are going to ontologically become deity as right. God is a deity, is certainly something yes. that is not in that verse.
1: It's not in that verse. What about Psalm eighty-two, verse six? Don't they use that as one of their proof verses that we can become? That's a what God? Jesus
2: was referring to in John, uh, in John ten thirty-four, I believe it is, uh, when when. Uh, The Jews were ready to pick up stones to stone him, and Mm -hmm. he uses the phrase, well, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now, there's a lot of ways of looking at this. First of all, Jesus is referring back to Psalm 82, which is a psalm of rebuke. It makes perfect sense that Jesus would use this in speaking with the religious leaders of his day. He's actually rebuking them. It kind of makes sense now why they want to kill him. Because they know what's in Psalm 82. They know exactly what that verse is saying. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, look, what's the big deal? You guys, you think you're gods. Well, what are the gods that are talked about in Psalm 82? Because it does, does
1: mention well, that. Well, verse 7, uh, verse 6 is, you are, I said you are gods, you are all sons of God, uh, or sons of the Most High. Verse 7 explains your answer. But you will die like mere men. You will die like every other ruler. The gods mm-hmm. are talking about are rulers, mere men.
2: Wicked rulers. Yeah. So wicked you won't rulers. understand why Jesus's audience, the religious leaders, were they're upset Pharisees, with him.
1: Absolutely.
0: But
2: the Mormons will take that and say, "Well, see, Jesus is implying that we can become deity." No, he's not. He says, "You are the gods. word is present tense." Yes. Isn't it? He's not saying you're going to become. And right. I've never met a Latter Day Saint who thinks they're a god right now. Maybe some of them drive that way, but they certainly are not. (laughs) And so they always will tell you, well, at best, I'm a God in embryo. I have the potential to become a God. But that's not what Jesus says in John. Not at all. He says, you are. So we have to understand, well, what does Jesus mean when he says, you are gods? What is he citing? How is that verse to be understood? The traditional understanding of Psalm 82 is talking about divinely appointed judges. I know there's some controversy over what the Grand Council could have been. I'm fully Mm -hmm. aware of that. I don't know if a Mormon can go in that direction with this divine counsel argument because James Talmadge was commissioned to write a book by, he was commissioned by the First Presidency to write a book called Jesus the Christ. Mm -hmm. On page 501 of that book, Talmadge takes the traditional understanding of John 10, 1034 and how it applies to Psalm 82 okay. and he says that this is talking about divinely appointed judges. And he, he actually uh-huh. goes so far to say that if it wasn't for the sin darkened mind of the religious rulers at the time, they would have known exactly well, what was being said well, here.
1: Wow, he understood so. that. Oh, well. Um, Also in the essay, and you made a very good point about this on the radio show, and I thought I would bring it up. Um, I want to quote, By viewing them through the clarifying lens of revelations received by Joseph Smith, Latter-day Saints see these scriptures as straightforward expressions of humanity's divine nature and potential. Well, first of all, are these scriptures straightforward? I think we've kind of disproven that. And why why was Joseph Smith given a free pass with all these new revelations?
2: And that is the million dollar question. And, and it is something that I sometimes, when I'm talking with Latter-day Saints, I, d- I don't want to, to give the impression that I'm trying to purposely shame them in how they give Joseph Smith a pass, but I certainly want them to see that I recognize they are giving him a pass. Mm. Joseph Smith can say just about anything he wants.
1: He did. <laughs> and
2: Mormons just fall in line like little birds yeah. and, and with their mouths wide open, and whatever Joseph Smith wants to feed them, they swallow.
1: Yeah.
2: As Christians, we cannot do that. With anybody, we always have to apply what is being said with what God's Word already reveals.
1: We'll test everything. And certainly
2: and when the, this, this paper citing for instance we've talked about john 10 34 genesis 1 26 it cites matthew 5 2 peter 1 4. i mean these verses are not saying that men can become gods that was not an understanding in the early church we we know that for a fact
1: okay let's so, go to that next I, I, that's one thing i really want to talk about here is they they said quote many church fathers spoke approvingly of the idea that humans can become divine, and then they quote Arrhenius and Clement of Alexandria, mm-hmm. and I think it was Eric who made uh, this point. I just loved it. Isn't it rather hypocritical for them to be quoting from a time in the uh, that they claim in the history of the Christian Church is in total apostasy?
2: Yeah, it would seem odd that you're going to apostates to develop your own doctrine.
1: To develop a doctrine that they... That they and, uh, and it is what? true,
2: there were early church fathers, and you mentioned Irenaeus and, and people like that, who do use language that the Mormons have grasped, they've grabbed onto this. And because, again, they're coming with their presuppositions, they're right. assuming that what these early church fathers are saying is what they think and how they define terms, mm-hmm. and it's not...
1: So are they taking it out of context? Absolutely.
2: What they're doing is is, uh, a a lot of these quotations that they're referring to would probably fall more in line with an Eastern Orthodox understanding called theosis. Mm -hmm. And there is a teaching within the Eastern Orthodox Church, and it's called divinization, and that can be very confusing. And again, we have to define, well, what does that mean to the people that are using those words? If you ask any Eastern Orthodox scholar... Who believes in theosis, okay, they will never say that they believe that the believer will someday ontologically become divine like God. The creature will always be the creature, it will never be the creator. You get this easily when you read Eastern Orthodox scholars' mm-hmm. writings. Mm-hmm. And on the radio show, we cited uh, an easy reference for most people to find, and that was in a book by Richard and Joan Osling called Mormon America. Mm-hmm. It came out several years ago and in the book they spend about 8 pages citing eastern orthodox scholars and what's interesting is that one of the quotes and i believe it's the one by callistus ware bishop uh, timothy ware where he uses the word mormon in his refutation to make it very clear that what the, what people believe in eastern orthodoxy is not what mormons believe so if you have eastern orthodox scholars denying that what they believe and what What they believe about theosis and such is not what mormons believe about becoming gods why are mormon scholars still using this comparison it's outright dishonest Mm -hmm. and and i say that purposely Mm -hmm. it's outright dishonest because these refutations have been out there for several years you would think that guys like robert millet daniel peterson and others that are apologists for the mormon church would know what eastern orthodox scholars have said about this and quit using that comparison. I
1: think that they don't think other people know that and that they will test what they say. You can fool
2: some of the people, some of the time, and that's enough to start a false church.
1: Well, another quote uh, from the King Follett discourse, Mm -hmm. which Joseph Smith, quote, told the assembled saints, you've got to learn how to be a god yourself. In order to do that, the saints need to learn godliness or to be more like God. Now. If we are gods in embryo, if we are have seeds of, of gods being a god in us, I mean, the, just the word god would would make you think that you don't have to learn how to become a god. I mean, a dog is a dog by nature; it doesn't have to learn how to become a god. Right? How do you learn how to become uh, divine? Yeah, yeah. How do you, you all of are a sudden, or You're not.
2: How do how do you all of a sudden become omnipotent? How do you all of right. a sudden become omniscient? If, if knowledge is infinite, then how do you grasp an infinite? You, you can't. There would always be more. Yes. And, and when you talk about being omnipotent, as Spencer Kimball made it very clear in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, he said that when a Mormon becomes a god, they will be omnipotent. Mm. Oh, really? Omnipotent yeah. compared to whom? Because, I mean...
1: But how can I, I, more than one person be almighty? Y- you you can't. can't.
2: That's the point. <laughs> and, and that's what makes it so silly. To most people who are looking at this from a logical standpoint, it makes no sense whatsoever. But unfortunately, I think, a lot of Latter-day Saints, because they have such implicit trust in their leaders, these leaders can say these things and they don't question them. They're not supposed to question them. Now that should raise flags to begin with. Because as Christians, we are supposed to question. And I, I, I get irritated with Christians who don't. Because we're supposed to. We are supposed to. I I am by nature skeptical. Yeah. I was skeptical when I became a Christian. I've been skeptical since becoming a Christian, probably more so since becoming a Christian. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Mm -mm. There's nothing wrong with inquiry. We are not an omniscient people. There is always something out there that we can learn. And we have to at least be honest with ourselves. And I warn Christians about this too. There could be something out there that we don't know this might scare some people, that could shatter our beliefs. Now, I haven't come across that yet as a Christian, but I have to at least be honest enough to to say there could be something out there that I've never heard before that could just rock my boat. And I think a Mormon needs to admit that as well. And this is why when I have Latter-day Saints come to me and they'll say, well, once a Mormon, always a Mormon, I'm never going to leave, I know the Church is true. That is talking like a cultist.
1: It is, and, it, what, and uh, what really bothers me is those who leave the polygamy group and join the Mormon church because it's the same Joseph Smith, it's the yes, same doctrine, it it's is. the same idea, uh, the same cultic thinking, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's really a concern. Lorenzo Snow uh he devised this couplet, came yes. up with the couplet, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may be. So they claim that Joseph Smith, with the New Revelations, and of course, it's evidently R- Lorenzo Snow. But what did Joseph Smith say in his Bible translation about how many gods are in the universe? Well, Now, you yeah. made a good point about the Joseph Smith translation in yes. Isaiah 46, 9. Mm-hmm. So...
2: I, I, well, when it comes to Isaiah 46.9, we had fun quoting that uh, because it seems to undermine the title of this essay.
1: Yes, it does. If Absolutely, you look at Isaiah forty
2: six nine, and the point that we wanted to make was in the Isaiah passages, if you look at Isaiah 43, 44, 45, 46, mm-hmm. Smith leaves a lot of the verses that, we would probably use on a regular basis when discussing the issue of God with a Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. He leaves those verses virtually intact. He does. In Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like God me
1: now this is reading right straight from the Joseph Smith Joseph translation Smith. of the why did he leave it like that if we can become if he t- in King Follett discourse says you gotta learn how to become gods.
2: So, I think there's an easy answer to that in 1833 when Joseph Smith claimed to have finished the Joseph Smith translation he didn't believe this he didn't believe what he believed towards the end of his life in the 1840s he was evolving mm-hmm. from the time he starts the Mormon Church in 1830 he's basically evolving in his theology And we see these these differences as you as you follow Joseph Smith's teaching, you can kind of see this slow change that he's going through. So in 1833, this is relatively early in his quote unquote ministry, all right. So he doesn't believe at this time what he ends up believing by the time he dies in the 1840s. So it's easy for him to leave these verses the way they are. In fact, I didn't bring the list with me, but there are several other verses that Joseph Smith changes in the Bible. That gives you the impression that there could be more than one God. Like when God says, I'll, I'll make Moses a God unto you. He changes this to make sure you don't get that impression that there's more than one God. So he doesn't believe this, it appears at least, in the early years of the Mormon so, church.
1: So I guess a good question, we're getting low on time again, we just don't ever have enough. But the question, where did he get it right and where did he get it wrong? And and, and do the followers of Joseph Smith recognize these Blatant differences in theology. Well,
2: when you have the doctrine of abrogation, as the Mormon Church does, that new teachings tend to trump the old teachings. That's how the Mormon thinks. And if Joseph Smith is, in their eyes, a true, divinely called prophet of the Lord, you go with what he says, even though it may contradict what he might have taught earlier or even what God had taught earlier because that's how they look at the Bible. This is early teaching. We have latter-day revelation now. And unfortunately, if Joseph Smith represents the God of this revelation, you would think that he would at least conform to it. And some Mormons try to argue, well, they should conform to the scriptures. But they don't because, let's face it, if they were to use the scriptures as their as their final authority, even mm-hmm. in Mormonism, mm-hmm. they would have never allowed the blacks to hold the priesthood in 1978 because the verse that yeah. was always used to yeah. keep them from having it was taken from the Pearl of Great Price in Abraham chapter one. Yeah. So.
1: Well, we only have um, probably. Another 30 seconds for you to have some closing remarks. Do you, do you want to say something about that? One this?
2: verse that I like to, to bring up to Latter-day Saints that I think undermines this whole notion of a plurality of gods and the idea that Mormons can become gods is Isaiah 43.10. Isaiah 43.10, it reads virtually the same in the Joseph Smith translation as it does in the King James. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Right. So God cannot be the offspring of, of another God further back Nor, in light of this verse, Isaiah 43, can a Mormon hope to aspire to Godhood.
1: Very good, that's absolutely right. And we do suggest that you check your Bible and you can even check this out, what he compared with the Joseph Smith translation in these verses. Bill, thanks again for coming. It's always wonderful to have you here. You know, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 that Satan is a liar and cannot tell the truth. And in John chapter 14 tells us that Jesus himself is the truth. Jesus revealed truth to us, but Mormonism refuses to believe much of what he taught. But they do believe Satan's lie that we can become gods. Well, we cannot become gods despite what Joseph Smith and other men claim. We urge our polygamous viewers who believe that living polygamy will make you into a God to read the Bible and know what it says and why it says what it says. And to our LDS viewers, we also urge you to turn from your human leadership and to test all things, as God says, using the Bible to determine God's truth because it's there and the Bible can be fully trusted because God promised. Thank you for watching our show.